the final show that the Grateful Dead ever performed. And to, this week for Dead Air, we are going to go beyond the final show. We're actually going to get into the final chapter of the Grateful Dead's Long Strange Trip. My book starts four months after Jerry dies. I mean, I'm not even writing about Jerry's death, funeral, etc. This week for Dead Air, we've got an incredible guest. He's really well known for his weekly column that he did for San Francisco Chronicle, which ran from 72 to 2009. His articles have been featured in Rolling Stone Magazine, the LA Times, Billboard, Melody Maker. His books have been New York Times bestsellers and won a whole bunch of different awards. He came out with a biography on Ricky Nelson. He helped Sammy Hagar write his auto bio. came out with a book called The Hate. It's with photographer Jim Marshall. One of his most recent books deals with one of the darkest and saddest and most unfortunate days of rock and roll, uh, the history of the Rolling Stones concert disaster and fiasco at Altamont Speedway. It's called Altamont, the Rolling Stones, the Hells Angels, and Inside Story of Rock's Darkest Days. He's got a new book out, and it even deals with another dark subject. I'm Joel Selvin, author of Fare Thee Well, final chapter of The Grateful Dead's Long Strange Trip. It's a rough subject. Some of the most loyal and hardcore Grateful Dead fans, they don't even want to talk about life without Jerry Garcia. So writing a book about this era is even more crazy. Thankfully, Selvin, he's done an enormous amount of reporting on the band when he was working with the Chronicle in San Francisco. So he knew how to weave in out of this delicate topic. And you got to think about this, Corey, you know, I'll go back to the Fillmore days. He's been covering the band since 1970, and in many respects, it was easy for him to talk with people who were close to the band and discuss a time period that is so dark, but he talked to all the right people so he could document this era. Former managers, former accountants, former lawyers, former road personnel, other musicians like Hornsby and Kimmick you mentioned. Usually when a typical rock band has a member who dies, the band breaks up. However, the Grateful Dead, they're not your typical rock band. The Grateful Dead were a band that actually stood for something. That they had a mission statement that they acted on their entire career. And they created one of the most fervent followings in the history of rock who shared in that ethos, who believed in in this code. Dead Air with Corey Daniels. Enjoy the ride. So, whatever transpires after Garcia's death is cast in the shadow of all that. Sullivan admits that so much ink and so much light has been shown and dedicated to the Grateful Dead, so he really didn't want to or need to focus on 1995 and earlier. I didn't feel under any compunction to like tell that Grateful Dead story. It's been told so well, so many times. So many people have done so much writing about the Grateful Dead beyond what I've done. I feel somewhat like a dilettante. But for the last 10 years, Selvin has been trying to go in and shed light in the Grateful Dead's darkest corner. I went to work on a book proposal about all this stuff after Jerry and brought it to this end when they Ramrod dies and they pick up the tapes. It was such a downbeat ending. It had no 
payoff whatsoever. There was no redemption. It was just the whole thing was like a, a downward spiral. And the book industry easily let me know that they weren't interested in publishing that book. And it was a lesson to me. And one of the things that they need is some kind of redemptive ending, some kind of reason to have finished reading the book that rewards the reader. The story of a desperate journey of four guys, the core four, the surviving members of the dead who were thrown to the wind by immense grief and loss of their band leader, Jerry Garcia. Selvin knows that uh, trying to find a happy ending in this uh, proves to be extremely difficult. I think that this was a traumatic period in most of these people's lives. There was so much intense pressure and so much adversity and fighting, something entirely foreign to the history of the Grateful Dead. It was like going through a prolonged divorce where your parents are just constantly at each other's throats. So yeah, a lot of people were very reluctant to, to talk about this. It was old wounds. Some people were more angry than others. Some people were more vague, but I don't think it was really anybody wanted to sit down and talk about it the way like a musician might want to do an interview for his upcoming new album. But Joel Selvin's book, Fare Thee Well, it does have a happy ending to it. As close as you can get. The final scene, so to speak, is the Fare Thee Well shows at Levi's Stadium in Santa Clara and Soldier Field in Chicago in 2015. When Selvin started to think that he had his final scene for his book, the deal was definitely sealed when he met with the drummer Mickey Hart a few weeks after the Fare Thee Well shows. He was still glowing, and I could tell from talking, things had totally changed in his life. That this Fare Thee Well had finally brought a sense of personal completion to all these guys, and they'd really pulled this thing off. And I knew I had my happy ending. Finding his happy ending and getting a book deal proved to be difficult. However, Selvin then had a new hurdle to face. Grateful Dead fans. The Deadheads, bless them all, have gone every which way on this. As, by the way, I would expect them to. They're the most contentious and debatable group of people I've ever run across, and I love them for it. So even though they, most of them haven't even seen this thing yet, out there on social media, they're fighting back and forth of, you know, oh, this is a great story. No, this is a terrible, he's only in it for the money. And, you know, I just did the book. I, I knew that, you know, feathers would be ruffled. It's not an opinion piece. It's just nonfiction journalism. But the fact is, this just, you know, cheers me no end. The, to be the subject of this kind of controversy and debate, uh, you, you can't hope for anything better if you're putting out a book. Joel Selvin went through a large amount of criticism and negativity from the Grateful Dead community about writing a book on the turmoil that followed Jerry Garcia's death. Even through that negativity, though, he was able to see just how positive that was. And that was the most important thing I learned out of this book, was just how powerful this sense of community was, how self-sustaining this community was. 
And and it, if it may not be so obvious because there's, you know, not a lot of mainstream media attention, the fact is, is it, it, in very low-key grassroots, but super solid and sustainable way, this community continues to thrive. Things began to change for the Grateful Dead and their fans when Garcia died. Some of these changes would have never have happened to a more conventional rock band. For instance, the bands after the band. There were six different versions of the Grateful Dead between 1998 and 2010. First three were called the other ones. The first other ones tour was in 1998. That was with Phil Lesh, but without Bill Kreutzmann. And the second Other Ones tour was uh, 2000, and that was with Bill Kreutzmann, but without Phil Lesh. Already you can see that the entire history of this period of relations of these four guys is a story of shifting alliances and arguments and reconciliations. Kind of like four angry brothers after uh, their father died or something like that, to, not to be too corny. Each guy in the band, they had their own individual journey. Kreutzmann, the drummer, was really just gobsmacked by Garcia's death. And it wasn't just he didn't want to have to do anything with the other guys. He didn't want to have anything to do with music. He moved to Hawaii. He didn't even take a drum set with him. So he was reluctant to be involved in anything whatsoever for a long time and became involved in the 2000 other ones tour almost by accident not only was the rock and roll lifestyle getting old and living life on the road but the band members they were aging as well for instance the bassist phil lesh he was also really sick of touring by the time the dead were finished and he was also ill and he had young sons at home so he was not motivated at all to go out and when he did go out in 98 with the other ones he was quite weak and tired a lot of the time because of his liver disease. And of course, then subsequently had the liver transplant, which was a life-changing event for Lesh, and led him to form Phil and Friends and launch his own solo career. Joel Selvin jumping back into the timeline of other Grateful Dead spinoffs. The next version of The Dead is 2002 at Alpine Valley, and they're still billed as the other ones. But they readopt the name The Dead, not The Grateful Dead, just The Dead, for some subsequent dates in 2003. And they tried to keep it rolling through 2004, but after that, there was no getting along for those four guys. And they began to completely unravel the business, sell everything, fire everybody, close up everything, license everything out, and not speak to each other again for, you know, two or three years. After that break, drummer Mickey Hart, bassist Phil Lesh, and vocalist, guitarist Bob Weir, they got back together for the sixth version of the band, and they toured in 2009. Phil had had it with the drummers for various reasons, and he suggested to Bobby that they go out without the drummers as further. And of course, that was a, a, a what, a four or five year deal, very successful. It was a rough road being on the road with the former members of the Grateful Dead. And things back home, well, they weren't much better either. For instance, there's a chapter that deals with the lawsuit between Garcia's widows, Mountain Girl and Deborah Coons. And while that's off the side of the main narrative, what happens in that law case 
is that through the power of subpoena and forcing people like uh, road manager Steve Parrish to testify, they broke a long-standing code of the Grateful Dead not to speak ill of anybody in the group in public. And that was super crucial to what would happen next and to what would go on. I asked Joel Selvin from 1995, the year of Jerry's death, to the present time, what was the darkest time for the Grateful Dead during that time? He said 2006 and 2007. You had the death of Ramrod, longtime roadie for the band. He was the president of the Grateful Dead Productions. And if there was ever an executive to the estate, Ramrod would be the guy. Well, with him gone, the band's archives were removed from the band's headquarters to Warner Brothers. And that moment had a huge impact on Selvin seemed like a final ending place to me. They gave up the tapes. They gave up the record company. Ramrod, who was one of the sort of most pure streams through the whole Grateful Dead history. I mean, that guy represented the Grateful Dead ethos as well as anybody, including Garcia. He just wasn't in the front of the stage. And with him gone, like all these links had disappeared. So to me, uh, it, it was a, there was an end of an era there, and and I truly didn't expect what came after that. I did not expect because the four guys were not getting along at all, and it, and there was no reason to believe they would ever get along again at that point. So I, what transpired after that was you know Obama and the dead of '07 of '09, and then further and all that sort of second life stuff. I would have never envisioned that uh, from the vantage point of 2006. So with original members fighting and struggling to maintain a somewhat healthy relationship, the new recruits, like the guys filling in for Jerry, they were definitely affected by the situation that was going on. Selvin says that it was very complicated for everybody. There was a lot of political aspects that people had to to pay attention to. So somebody like Warren Haynes played very well with the band, although his manager and wife, Stephanie Scamardo, she had her run-ins with those people and had to deal with that. And Kimmick went out with Phil and friends, and he quit the band in, in, in the middle of the tour and came home. Oddly enough, you know, he stayed in the whole scene, of course, but that was it for him and Phil Lesh. For guitar players, the amount of pressure to stand where Jerry Garcia stood brought on immense pressure. It's no surprise that other guitar players found struggles as well. The final thing is like when Phil Lesh puts further together and hires the Dark Star Orchestra guitarist, who was known as Bayery. So what makes further different than a tribute band, except that Phil and Bobby are in it? Even if a guitar player was qualified to go on stage to perform those songs with those remaining Grateful Dead members, there was still the drama off the stage. Selvin notes, without Jerry in the equation, the power structure collapsed. It wasn't any kind of equal partnership in the way that we thought equal partnerships, even if they all shared that sense. And, and that was part of the mission, too. Everybody had an equal vote. Everybody could, any one person could veto anything. But Garcia was so much responsible for the vision 
the execution and the strategies of the Grateful Dead, musically and professionally, that he was the hub. And those other guys, they were spokes. I don't mean to demean them by that at all. Just Garcia was a very unusual kind of guy. And he also was a band leader who ruled through passive means. He never issued edicts, but somehow all the other guys would come to him for approval. You know, what do you think about this, Jerry? And he could go, "Ah, that's not too cool. Hey, that's a great idea. And that was how Jerry acted as a band leader. Joel Selvin made another incredible observation as to why Jerry was such a pillar in the band, The Grateful Dead. Each one of those four guys thought Jerry Garcia was their best friend. They did not think that about each other. This is Dead Air. This week we are talking with Joel Selvin. His new book is titled Fare Thee Well, the final chapter of the Grateful Dead's Long Strange Trip. I'm Corey Daniels. You're listening to Dead Air. More with Selvin is coming up. Right. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's take a break. What a grind. <laughs> right. The tension is killing me. This is Dead Air. This is where we dive into some classic Grateful Dead recordings and the world of the Grateful Dead. This week, a part of the Grateful Dead where a lot of people look the other way. That's the final chapter of the band. Joel Selvin, he's the author of a new book titled Fare Thee Well, the final chapter of the Grateful Dead's Long Strange Trip. You can purchase the book on Amazon or through Joel Selvin's website. His website is joelselvin.com. Jerry Garcia, he held the torch for so many, including members of his own band. When he passed on, many people felt that the light went out, but in many cases, the other musicians in the Grateful Dead were burnt out or they were burning the other guys in the band. Selvin pointed out that around 2009, when Further was on the road, the torch was burning bright. And it wasn't one person carrying that torch, it was many. It was the Deadheads. This audience for jam band music began to just explode and expand beyond anybody's imagination. Although Selvin got a great deal of negative vibes from the Grateful Dead community because he wrote a book about the surviving members' conflicting agendas, strained relationships, catastrophic business decisions that would leave the iconic band in utter disarray, Selvin was quick to give the Deadheads credit for rallying with the band regardless of the situation. As that rally was going on, the Grateful Dead were finding themselves on a campaign rally. Until the Obama campaign in the California primary. This is the Grateful Dead in 2008. Brought Mickey, Bobby, and Phil back together for a benefit. Then they put together the sixth version of the Dead, which did a subsequent Obama benefit in Pennsylvania and a tour in 2009. All right, hold on to the Obama idea for just a second. I want to go kind of down a rabbit trail. On a side note, whenever I talk to guys on this program, uh, some of the interview doesn't hit the airwaves, some of my questions. And a lot of times I'll ask this question, doesn't matter if it's an author, photographer, scholar. I'll ask them, what is a deadhead? It's a simple question, but I always get these really insightful, intelligent answers. And it's amazing because the first Their first response is always, "Eh, it's a person who enjoys the Grateful Dead, music, lifestyle, art. But then when they process it and they think about it for a while, what is a deadhead? They'll kind of correlate the Democratic political party with being a deadhead. 
what passes for American conservatism or right-wing politics, really none of that can be substantiated or verified within the dead's work, worldview, or art. Nicholas Merriweather, the first archivist for the Grateful Dead Archive at UC Santa Cruz, giving his opinion on what is a deadhead and what is not a deadhead. Another guy who shares the same view, Peter Connors. He is the author of Growing Up Dead. That is his autobiography. He also uh, published a book about jam bands called Jamerica. And then he also uh, most recently came out with a book about Cornell 77. And this was his response when I asked him, what is a deadhead? There's so many different kinds of deadheads. My wife and I were watching CNN. There was this super conservative talking and he goes like, well, you know, the only thing I like about him is he also likes Grateful Dead. And I was like, you're not on our team. You know what I mean? Like, nobody asked you, dude. It doesn't surprise me to see a connection between Democrat voters and deadheads, but I was surprised to hear so many people so quick to connect those dots on just a basic question of what is a deadhead? I always wondered why they would put these Democrat supporters and deadheads in the same group. When I talked with Joel Selvin, it made more sense. Barack Obama healed our nation and brought the Grateful Dead back together. You should have realized right then what a great president he was going to be. Hey everybody, this is Barack Obama, and I just want to say thank you to Phil uh, and Bobby and Mickey for helping to pull this together. Uh, for all of you to come together and help put together uh, a concert and to encourage people uh, to come out and vote is extraordinary. Uh, and so I want to say thank you to all of you. Uh, I want everybody to sit down and enjoy the music uh, and make sure to vote if we vote. We've got the chance not just to win an election, we got a chance to change the country and change the world. Peace. Barack Obama motivated Phil Lesh to telephone Mickey Hart. The heavens moved. To those who seek peace and security, we support you. And to all those who have wondered if America's beacon still burns as bright, tonight we proved once more that the true strength of our nation comes not from the might of our arms or the scale of our wealth, but from the enduring power of our ideals, democracy, liberty, opportunity, and unyielding hope. Joel Selvin gives us the blow-by-blow on how Obama got the Grateful Dead back together again. Bill Lesh's son, Brian had become extraordinarily devoted to the cause of Barack Obama's presidential campaign and really had devoted his, I think, a freshman in college, maybe a senior in high school, and he really devoted himself to spend his entire summer on it and took his dad and mom up to Reno to door-to-door canvas. I mean, he was way into it. And his father took him for his 18th birthday to see Obama appear on, uh, I think, the John Stewart show. And then later that night, attended a campaign rally of Obama's in Brooklyn. And they were all just swept up by it, as you can imagine. And they met Obama that uh, afterwards, after that rally. I sort of get the feeling that Obama was just meeting some super important volunteers, mom and dad. And it came as a surprise to him that this guy was in the Grateful Dead. And he said, you know, gosh, I have your music on my iPod. At that point, you know, it was like, you know, Phil said, I'd love to help you get the hippie vote. 
and the, the, the staff reached out to Lesh, and it was his son who said, no, you can't just do fill-in friends for Obama. You have to call the guys and put the dead back together. Another high point of the Grateful Dead was the 50th anniversary reunion in 2015. The ball got rolling when Bob Weir, Mickey Hart, and Billy Kreutzman had a dinner where they discussed the possibility of a reunion show. Selvin was in the know about that get-together and the performer's associates. I think that it couldn't have been done by anybody but Peter Shapiro, although many wanted to. He had the inside track with Bill Lesh, and that was the crucial component at the time. I don't think Phil was speaking to the other three guys. Before the boys hit the stage for those Fare Thee Well shows, the X Factor was already in place. Selvin wasn't surprised by the reunion. I felt it was fated. I felt it was out of their hands. I felt they had to do it or they would have broken their contract with the deadheads in some fundamental way. The numbers are mind-blowing for the Fair The Well 50th Anniversary shows. Which becomes the single biggest grossing concert in the history of rock. The money that it brought in, the amount of pay-per-view streams, the amount of tickets, and of course, the impact that it had on the fans. Shapiro thinks that half the people that went to Fair The Well are old deadheads and half were new. Selvin went to all the new versions of The Grateful Dead as a fan and as a reporter for the San Francisco Chronicle. His reviews were always honest. If there's any four guys who have a right to work this repertoire, those are the guys. And the audience is there for it. The audience receives it, accepts it. And so you go there and you watch this show and you try and judge it on its own merits, right? Because you have to say... Well, this is great, except Jerry's not there. Jerry's not coming. After 1995, there were six different versions of The Grateful Dead with different musicians. As the band was going through personnel changes, so were the fans in the parking lot. Yeah, a lot of of crusty old deadheads peeled off, you know, and didn't want to go see Phil and Friends or Rat Dog or the other ones because Jerry wasn't in them. Some of them didn't think it would be worth going to without Jerry. Joel Selvin admits he stopped enjoying the Grateful Dead music by and large after Jerry died. He did say some nights, though, the magic was in the air. Bonnie Raitt with the other ones at Shoreline in, um, I guess that was 98. Bottleneck guitar and the Grateful Dead. Yeah! (laughs) I always hate being that guy, but uh, doing a little fact-checking with uh, Joel Selvin. Uh, Looks like Bonnie Raitt and the other ones only performed twice, once in 2000 and the other time in 2003, and that 2000 performance was at Shoreline Amphitheater. But still... Uh, you can't hold it against the guy. It's about the attitude, and when the music hits you, it hits you. And that definitely rang true with plenty of the fans. Man, these are the only guys that are playing that repertoire. All my friends will be there. It'll be a groovy time again, and they go back. And so the party stayed on 
And it started to grow. It started to have new people come in. And when I go to Dead & Company shows, I look around and I think three quarters of these people couldn't have seen the band with Jerry. They're too young. Grateful Dead music appears to be inclusive, never exclusive for just a certain age group. It's timely, relevant, and has no age limit. When the band is on, regardless of who is filling in, when the band is on, it's a band beyond description. Of all the bands I saw, the one that most evoked the sense of it and yet had an identity of its own and I had some resonance with, oddly enough, was Dead & Company. This week's guest for Dead Air is Joel Selvin, author of a new book titled Fare Thee Well, the final chapter of the Grateful Dead's Long Strange Trip. You can purchase the book at Amazon.com, also his website, joelselvin.com. The release date is the 19th of this month. Selvin did extensive research on the Grateful Dead after the passing of Jerry Garcia, so post-1995. He did a lot of research on the different variations of the bands, like the other ones. The Dead, Further, The Fare Thee Well shows. And when I was talking with Selvin, he gave a lot of love to Dead & Company. John Mayer's uh, sincerity is just all poignant. I mean, he is a sincere guitarist, and I don't know how you get that attitude in your guitar playing, but it is his authentic voice, this sincerity, this earnestness. And he's not playing Garcia at all. He plays some kind of parallel version of that guitar playing. The rhythm section's great, and they've always augmented this band since, you know, they found out they could get along better with more than six people. So it's got, it had a great band sound. And um, I think the pressure's off those guys now. I think that's a gift of fairly well for them so that they can go out and face an audience and not feel like they're carrying this burden. They've proven themselves, they've done what they needed to do, they went out and slayed the dragon, they came back. Now it can be fun again. And, and there's nothing more contagious than fun. Dead & Company definitely having a whole lot of fun in the time of their lives, currently doing their summer tour. Hey, I'm Corey Daniels. You've been listening to Dead Air. Big thanks to my guest this week, Joel Selvin. His new book is titled The Grateful Dead, Fare Thee Well, the final chapter of The Grateful Dead's Long Strange Trip. Check it out over at Amazon, and then also uh, it's also worth checking out his website, joelselvin.com. Very cool guy. Incredible author. He's wrote stuff for the San Francisco Chronicle. His column uh, was dating back to the the early 70s going all the way until 2009. He's got other incredible books out there. He helped Sammy Hagar write his autobio. He did a biography on Ricky Nelson, wrote a book about Hard Rock Cafe, the restaurant and all their cool memorabilia. Uh, they, he has a book out about The Hate, uh, featuring pictures from Jim Marshall. And uh, of course check out his recent book, Fare Thee Well, the final chapter of The Grateful Dead's Long Strange Trip. You've been listening to Dead Air. 50 years later, The Grateful Dead? How did that happened.